So, um, I already know the answer to this, but are, are, are some of you folks wine drinkers? Now, I know because I've, eat, yeah, I've eaten dinner with some of you, right? <laughs> now, and I admit, I, I really do, I like a glass of wine occasionally with dinner. Good red wine, um, love it. Uh, but if, if you do, the next time you take a sip of your, your favorite vintage, you might want to raise a toast to, to this little guy that's coming up here, uh, Vespidae Hymenoptera, scientific name, uh, the humble little paper wasp. Uh, and that's because those, those scary little winged critters with a, a sting that really packs a punch may actually be the secret to the wonderful and complex aroma and flavor of wine. Uh, in fact, you could say they're a, a wine lover's best friend because it turns out that uh, as they're grazing and they're, they're taking these tiny little nibbles out of the grape skins, that with every bite they inject a special kind of yeast along with some other microorganisms that set the stage for the fermentation process. Pretty cool, huh? But I think more interesting than that, I think is it's a perfect example of just how interconnected the natural world is through God's hand of providence, whether it's in, in great big ways like how the rotation of the planets affect the cycle of the tides, uh, or, or just like in this, in the interplay of insects and, and animals and plants, that we would barely even notice or perceive. Uh, but on to the connectedness that our Maker commends to us and that He graciously makes available to us in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. And, and we're going to explore that today through the vehicle of, of Psalm 80. And uh, if you're following along, or if this, uh, for you folks, it's your first time with us, we're doing an expository look through the book of Psalms, and we started at Psalm 1, 80 Sundays ago, and we're up to Psalm 80. Uh, and, and I, uh, Brother Rick, I inserted a, uh, just a, a, a prayer of illumination after the scripture, so you don't have it, but just a quick prayer after we read scripture. So if you're joining me in the word, we're at Psalm 80, uh, which is superscribed to the choir master according to Lilies, which is a, a tune, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. And he writes, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It set out its branches to the sea, its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and have regard for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted, and for the sun who you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire, they've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. 
and then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we, we praise and thank you for these holy scriptures which you've caused to be written for our learning. We thank you, Father, for your written word that reveals to us the living word of Christ. Father, we thank you that in him we've received wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And we thank you, Father, that through him you've spoken to us, your children. So, Father, we pray now that you would illumine our minds more and more as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, Open our ears to hear your still, small voice speaking to us in this word. Open our minds, cleanse our thoughts, so that your Holy Spirit may guide us into all truth, and we may be increasingly willing to submit to it, even as we hear it in your gentle promptings. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, uh, you can see in this psalm, there there are actually two metaphors in this psalm, that of, of God as shepherd where we started out, which is really just kind of a takeoff from the end of last week's, from 79, which remember the last verse of that one ended, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Remember, that's that's where we left off. But also today, we have the metaphor of Israel as a vine, and both of these things, uh, the keeping uh, of vineyards and the tending of sheep were really the heart and soul of Israel's economy. And because they were so prevalent in Hebraic culture, it made both of those themes great sermon illustrations because everybody understood them. And so rabbis and and teachers of the day would pull elements from those to help describe the kingdom of God in terms that people could relate to. And so naturally, Israel's greatest rabbi and our good teacher, the Lord Jesus, used everyday events as a springboard for teaching eternal truths as well. And I want to show you just a quick example of that from the Gospel of John chapter 15 to show you how we did that and how it actually ties into today's text. So uh, if you have your Bible, which I, you know, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles to church because uh, it's really cool that it's in mine, but it's even better when you see it in yours. Um, and this is John 15 beginning in verse 1. And Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers, and such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. That's that's tough stuff. But just, just by way of context here, our Lord Jesus gave this teaching immediately after the Last Supper, and if you remember, the Bible tells us with that sacred meal Uh, completed that Christ and his men sang a hymn uh, and then they headed outside. They they head outside the city and if you've been to the Holy Land you know what this looks like. They they head down into the Kidron Valley and up the opposite 
slope to an olive press inside a garden called Gethsemane. And, and as they walk along the trail, Jesus and his disciples would have had to pass through the vineyards that surrounded the city of Jerusalem with their, their gnarled grapevines that at this time of year would have still shown the scars from their recent prunings. And so it's easy to imagine that Jesus may have even pointed them out uh, to his men as they walked along, uh, reminding them just how deeply vines and branches were rooted in Israel's salvation history. Uh, maybe reminding them in the words of today's psalm uh, that you, God, brought us from Egypt like a grapevine uh, and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us. We took root and we filled the land. But now, why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass can steal our fruit? Look down from heaven and see our plight and take care of this grapevine. Or, or maybe he thought of uh, Isaiah chapter 5, uh, where we read, Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. And in the middle he built a watchtower, carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. And then he waited, waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. And now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? And then he kind of tells us the, parable, the, the truth of the parable. He says, the nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. It's a pretty strong accusation, right? And you can see by those readings that Israel was intended to be a people whose lives produced a fruit of holiness and of righteousness among the nations for God's glory, not their own, for God's glory. The, the problem was that Israel had produced bad fruit rather than good fruit, and that resulted in their discipline. D discipline in the form of divine judgment upon his people, and we've, we've covered that quite a bit. Uh, discipline that came in the form of attacks by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then finally, when our Lord Jesus comes onto the scene in human history, uh, Israel still hasn't learned their lesson. So it, it's still experiencing the results of that godly discipline. Only now, instead of Assyrians and Babylonians, they're living under Roman rule and the dominance of a pagan empire over God's promised land. But the good news is God hasn't given up on his people. Because Jesus comes now into the story, steps into humanity's place as the fulfillment of Israel's prophetic existence. Uh, an existence whose purpose was to produce spiritual fruit. Uh, fruit that would, would point people to God and fruit that would point forward to the Messiah that was to come in the person of Jesus. The Messiah who would succeed where Israel had failed and who would produce that good fruit that God expected. The Messiah that would make it possible for, for them and for us as branches to grow the fruit that he's looking for. And, and reminding us that we, uh, as his branches, are dependent solely on Christ the vine for life and for nourishment and, and, and for provision. 
And so even if you don't have a green thumb, there really couldn't be an easier illustration to understand, right? Because uh, you know when a branch is connected to the vine, it'll grow. And it'll produce fruit, and, and the garden will maintain it, so it'll produce even more. But if a branch is not connected to the vine, it dries up. It dries up and, and withers, and it won't be worth having around, so it gets tossed into the burn pile. And Jesus says the exact same thing about his branches, that we, his followers, uh, who are vitally connected to and dependent on him, will produce the fruits of righteousness and holiness. And, and folks around us won't be able to help but to see it in our lives. And those who have no real connection to the master, well, their lives will just as easily show the withering effects from the blight of their willful independence. But keep that in one part of your mind. We'll get back to that. Because I think this is the right place to stop for just a minute uh, and consider just exactly what this fruit is that our text is talking about. Uh, and, and how does the Bible define the fruit that we, the branches, are to produce? And what is it exactly? Right? It'd be important to know that. Well, in this immediate context of John chapter 15, the fruit that our Lord means is not defined as evangelism, not defined as bringing people to Christ, as important as that is. In this particular context, rather, he's referring to the fruit of a changed life, a changed character that's fed by the source itself, the source that produces in us the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if you don't know them, I encourage you to memorize them, something the kids have known since they were little. The fruits of the Spirit uh, are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then the Bible finishes up by saying, against such things there are no law. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And you see, this is not a passage on gaining salvation, but it's on living it out. Uh, it's a passage on demonstrating its inner reality through our outward actions. Because those good branches whom Jesus made reference to are people that have already been reborn. So this is all about application. Uh, it's about not just talking the talk, but walking the walk and doing it joyfully. Because if we're connected, then we'll be content. And, and we'll be satisfied. And, and as true Christians, we'll want more and more of a connection to Him and not more of a disconnect that exalts ourselves and, and that wants to fulfill our own wants and our own desires. We'll want to fulfill His. Uh, one commentator, one author on this subject has said, to be content in Christ is the greatest accomplishment we could desire. To be content in Christ is the greatest accomplishment we can desire. Because when we're plugged into the vine, we really thrive. And we really live more fully. So Jesus says, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. And you'll bear much fruit. So the obvious question is, are you? A am I? Uh, because if you and I claim to be followers of Christ here today, we have to ask ourselves, is my life producing those fruits in keeping with righteousness and holiness. Because real branches who are really connected to the true vine will be producing real fruit. Not maybe, but will be. Otherwise, the truth is we really can't call ourselves a Christian, right? Uh, that, that's what I was alluding to earlier that I said we'd, we'd get back to in just a minute about those independent branches who, who claim to be part of the vine 
who act as though they're a member of the community, but who, when it comes right down to it, don't really have a connection at all. Uh, and and that's, that's important because there's really, there, there's a dangerous false teaching that's kind of infiltrated uh, the American church over the last 25 to 30 years, a kind of uh, insidious kind of cultural construct that claims that a person can be saved by Christ, can become a, a part of a church, a member of a church, but not be expected to demonstrate any type of change in their life, no, no fruit. Well, that's just not true, guys. And they think, people think things now in the modern church like surely if God is just love and, and warm feelings and forgiveness, well, just as surely all those other teachings on morality in the Bible, they're just optional, right? We can, we can just pick the ones we like and leave off the ones we don't. Uh, because the worldly church says to folks, I can come to Jesus just as I am. And I guess that that, that is partially true because uh, brothers and sisters, you can come to Christ however you are, wherever you are, but the truth is Jesus loves you way too much to leave you that way. Does that make sense? You can come to Jesus however you are, wherever you are. I don't care what kind of lifestyle you're in, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And like it or not, you can shout over and over again until you turn purple as a bunch of grapes that, that I'm the one who runs my life. And I'm the one who decides what I do and who I do it with. And I'm the one who determines my destiny. And when you're all done with your tantrum, you can sit down and pat yourself on the back for how clever and independent you've been, at least until the gardener comes by with his shears and says, no, I am. And that's why Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Because you see, in this world, you're either in one of two categories. You're either having your life and your soul expertly clipped and shaped and cleaned up by the master, or you're getting cut. That's it. And Jesus is saying clearly and without apology that the difference between real branches and false branches are that real branches will produce the fruits of righteousness, those fruits of the Spirit. Uh, while false branches won't produce anything at all and they're removed and burned. And now you can probably guess that wasn't a popular message in Jesus' day. Well, guess what? It isn't any more popular in ours. Because let's face it. Uh, nobody, including me, ever wants to be told what they're doing is wrong. Uh, just ask my wife. She... Right. Have I ever admitted I was wrong? Maybe a couple of times. Right. But that's really true, right? Who, who likes to be told they're wrong? Um, but I'm here to tell you, if the church that you attend or the God that you listen to uh, always agrees with you, and always validates your decisions and never makes you feel a little uncomfortable from time to time and never pricks your conscience, you may be worshiping a God of your own making. A God really no different than the golden calf in the wilderness. Because, brothers and sisters, the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that's proclaimed in sacred Scripture always corrects and always disciplines his children. And he does it for the sake of their life and their growth and their spiritual health. Because you see, his pruning proves that he's our loving parent. And what is that pruning? 
It's the Father cutting out of our lives the things that hinder us from being more fruitful. So just as the, the Father, like a gardener with this uh, pruning knife, like an expert gardener, is ready to cut away anything in our lives that's keeping us at a distance from Him, even if it's a little painful at times. But you know, the truth is the Father may hurt you, but He'll never harm you. And His pruning is good for you. And it's for your good and His glory. Uh, and it may take away your temporary happiness, but it'll enhance your holiness, which is God's ultimate goal. And you know, even though all of that sounds pretty tough, Christ promises we will never have to face that alone because we're connected. So are you? Or, or are you a withered branch and maybe don't even know it? Are you being cleansed? Or are you about ready to be cut? How's God pruning you today? What kind of fruit are you producing? Or, or are you refusing to yield to the hand of the gardener? And, and if you are, my, my message to you would be consider what Jesus endured to save you, what he endured to make you holy. And then, then ask yourself, is whatever it is that you're clinging to for momentary happiness of more value than the hours he spent on the cross to pay your sin debt? Or is Christ your everything? Is he your bread of life, the one who spiritually sustains you? Is he? Is he your light of the world to illuminate his will for your everyday life? Uh, is he the gate that gives you free and unlimited access to heaven through him? Is he your good shepherd who gave himself to pay for your sins? Is he your life? So that if you die before the rapture comes or you're taken alive in it, your eternal life is sealed with Christ. Is he really your way and your truth? Or would you rather make your own? Are you connected to the true vine and, and growing in genuine gratitude for all that he's done for us? Or are you just filling your wine press with the, gra uh, the grapes of God's wrath? Because brothers and sisters, Christ is the true vine and without him we can do nothing. We are nothing. Uh, and like a branch pruned from the vine will, will surely die so Stay connected to Christ and live. Do, do it today. Don't wait. Right where you are. And then we can pray with Asaph today. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and let your face shine that we may be saved. And Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me new. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I ask you to pray with me. And, and Father, we come before you now praying that if there's even one heart here today that doesn't know you as your Lord and Savior, uh, you would surprise them, Father, by the reality of your presence, that you would uh, open their hearts and minds even as you've promised to. You'd take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh moved by your Spirit. And so we ask you, Father, to, to move among us and accomplish your will. Be with us this week as we go out into this world, Father, uh, and let us share the light and the life of Christ uh, even as we remain connected to him. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.